This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay in Dunedin, and I am joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How goes it? It's going very well. Big long swim this morning. Nice. Oh, in the pool still, not in the ocean, you say. And it's going to take a while before I can convince anyone else to get back in the sea with me. <laughs> I'm keen. Now, if you're in the here, everybody's in the ocean already. You know, we've oh. been swimming for weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and who are you introducing today? Today, it is my pleasure to introduce Thomas Wynn. Um, Thomas, I met uh, about, oh my gosh, must be two or three years ago when he became a um, learner for Capable New Zealand uh, to complete his degree. And um, through that process of being a facilitator, we became very good friends. And um, he's one of the most interesting people I've ever known. He's had an incredible career uh, and that has taken him all over the place. But his contribution to community is, uh, is what blows me away. And last year, he was awarded a Distinguished Alumni Award um, from Otago Polytech for his contribution to his professional practice. So welcome, Thomas. Hey, nice to be here. Kia Welcome. So how was bubble life for you, Thomas? Uh, well, I think I'd perforated it almost immediately um, because I became a, an essential worker. So um, circumstances uh, out of my control were myself and the minister I was working with were caught up in Auckland and we decided to stay there. And then uh, not long after that, literally the next day, a plane load of Cook Islanders was flying in from LA and they needed somewhere to stay and isolate. And that number grew to about 300 people over the next six weeks that needed shelter, food, medication, hospitalization, um, care, and uh, just people checking in on them, I guess. And I was fortunate to be able to, um, I'm on the board of the uh, Pacific Home Care, which is a healthcare provider in, in Auckland. So I was able to relinquish my board duties, put on a polo shirt and become a driver and work with the people that, um, yeah, I was, you know, at the other end of that organisation, but it was so good to have lunch with them, them, of course, not knowing that I was a board member and asking me, hey, what's it like being the new driver? And I'm like, great, you know, it's awesome. Uh, and that was really the next six weeks. And it was really informative. Your work is in counselling, but also in politics. 
Yeah, so counselling and social work and people are my background. Politics is where I'm at at the moment. And I think for anyone that works in social services, no matter what they're doing, be it youth work, community work, or working for a statutory organisation, in that life cycle, you do get to a point where you want to be affecting the decisions that are affecting uh, the climate that you work in as much as you're affecting the lives of the people that you're working with on an interpersonal level. And I think that that becomes a natural jump uh, because the other option is that you become annoyed and frustrated and then you become bitter and you just can't work there anymore because you're just seeing the same thing all the time. And so um, I was fortunate to have um, politics in our family, in our background, and, and it was something that we were quite au fait with and comfortable with. And so when the opportunity made itself available, which is what happened, um, I happily jumped into it. Because you were working and advising the, the Prime Minister's office in Rarotonga, but now you're in Wellington? Yes, now I'm working for the Labour Leader's office uh, in Parliament here, working for the government here, and it's been a wonderful transition. And what do you do? It really has been. It's been. Uh, I, I, work, I work specifically for the Pacific ministers and uh, work with them as a cohort. So we, they're called the Labour Pacific Caucus, and they are um, five ministers at the moment. And we're looking, hopefully, hoping for more to come through um, next year. Oh, well, this year, actually, with the election coming up. And we work in, in, in balance with the Labour Māori Caucus. Um, comms team and because of course we have uh, issues that are affecting our communities similarly and so we have a very similar message about how we deal with that other than their tangata whenua and we are uh, tuakana so we're their older brother but we're in their house and we understand that you know as specific people so you know um, it's uh, it's a nice arrangement I really enjoy it and I enjoy working with the, the Labour Pacific Labour Māori Caucus team they're really awesome people and have made my transition here very easy and very welcoming. So is the role advising and, and helping them and the wider the wider caucus, the wider parliament on those sorts of issues? You know, the role of specifically working with the Labour um, ministers and MPs um, and to advising them and providing some, uh, I guess, oversight on comms and you know messaging has become so so important in fact um bad messaging can ruin your political career um, very very quickly so messaging has become hugely important the way we craft that message and you know how we project ourselves into the community because of course now um on the our online presence has become very very powerful and as we have seen Social media has been weaponized for good and sometimes has been weaponized for bad. And when I mean weaponized, I mean that it's, um, you know, literally thrown out at people. So, and people catch it, you know, and people have a look at it. And sometimes they throw it back and other times they hold on to it. So, um, the way we engage with people is, is dynamic. It's, it's changing. But um, the, the opportunity to talk to people face-to-face -face never changes, especially in our communities. I mean, I think especially in any community, but I think for those that uh, are collective, co collective communities, 
they want to see that person and they want to hear their voice and they want to engage with them and it's meaningful when they are able to talk about not just about what they think but i think more importantly the idea that that they've been able to communicate how they how they feel i think that's probably the most important bit and uh, you know for pacific people living in the cook islands um a place that i do want to return to um you know you you understand that sometimes you just need to let people feel it out and feel it through and then once that's done uh, they're able to listen but until that happens it's very very hard for them to listen because they're just um, quite um full of the emotion of whatever it is that's upset them or that they don't understand or need need um some reassurance on so as much as social media is important and it seems to um uh, acu- you know accumulate in their lives there is nothing as meaningful as face to face kanohi kite kanohi o matafiki mata face to face
The messaging around the COVID response, the pandemic response, has been amazing. Was it? Did you have to tailor it for Pacific communities? Yeah, I think I think one of the big learnings for us uh, here was the power of of uh, bilingual messaging, and it was something that had been, I, I guess, uh, talked about and thought about uh, prior to. But the I think the essential part of my role um, or the minister's role, the minister's roles in that COVID-19, um, the, the beginning of the lockdown and everything else was the fact that we were able to work with um, the Ministry of Pacific People and put out that messaging into all the different Pacific languages. I think that that is was the definite takeaway moment from, you know, reflecting back on the, the, the lockdown and that the, the power of that. So when I looked at the metrics, you know, of messages that went out in English and then messages that went out that were bilingual, they were sometimes 10 times more effective. Like we might get four and a half thousand reach on something, we'd get 40,000 on something that was done in English and in Tongan or in Samoan or in Cook Island and, uh, you know, the power of that has stayed with us. So it's now become another tool in the kete. You know, it's it's really showed itself to be hugely effective and necessary. And, and you know, and, and we have really put to bed that assumption that we need to do it, do our messaging in one language. Did the concepts translate directly? Does, is there an equivalent for be kind? Yeah, the, yeah, the, um, yes. I mean, the concepts, yes, because um, because we're a value-based community. Anyway, you know, those those things were were easy to to to, to um, translate. In fact, they didn't even really need translation. It was really just um, framing them around uh, you know terminology that was uh, more familiar to them. And yeah, the the upshot of that. I mean, we were able to measure that, which was probably. Um, one of the values of social media as opposed to, to any other kind is you can actually measure the response. So we, you know, we were able to see what city people were from, what, what gender, what um, uh, area, demographics, you know, all those things that uh, Facebook and other social media platforms can send back to you as the person putting out the message. It was really, really helpful and really, really um meaningful for us i guess so um expect to see more of that in the election coming up you know that that should be present 
um, in the more diverse communities. One of the advantages that we had was that people responded so well to that collective message that we weren't doing it wasn't about being safe for yourself it was being safe for for everybody looking after the the whole community did you feel as though the pacific communities had a a head start on that yeah i think i think the again you know because our default setting is is collective that you know when we ask people to, to work outside of what is uh, singularly good for them as opposed to what is good for the community um, it's an easy pill to swallow and um, it's really it's, it's a whole lot more palatable um, you know just that idea around you know the team of five million and I guess also being cognizant of the fact that for a number of social indicators we are m- more vulnerable and so we're in a more precarious situation so the need for for us to be more compliant in those situations was, you know, ever more present. And, uh, you know, definitely in the dealings with people that I was visiting from door to door, um, delivering food parcels and medicines, uh, you know, their response was, you know, this is so good, we're staying where we are, we're going to do what we need to do and just just um, get through this together. So, yeah, the answer to that is yes, definitely. It wasn't a hard one to understand or get a hit around. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui kia koutou ko If you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes, and I really hope that whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding stimulating illuminating for you more and more who you are triumph of nature's art perfect unique here making things better as all life is contributing new gifts new ways of perceiving and experiencing the world and here you are here we are connected to all life in an infinite web so something i love about us as a species of animal of course is that we are very, very good at drawing meaning from the world around us and crafting frameworks of meaning. And our whole human world is constructed based on this and we draw collectively from the consensus reality that we create constantly in the same way. Just been really loving the sense of freedom that we can experience now that we've moved through these multiple states of transition through lockdown level four, level three. And now... Of course, we've moved through level two and we are in level one. This great sense of freedom abounds. And for me, each day I'm really appreciating more and more the freedoms that we can experience and that we do have. And a big one of those, of course, is that we can choose any aspect of our lives, the world around us, the world within, to draw meaning from. And it's been a wonderful pleasure for me to do this show and it's really, really helped me in terms of everything really but reframing my life as an opportunity to share frameworks of meaning with you all thank you so much for having me and today I've just really enjoyed that sense of receptivity to meaning arising spontaneously and allowing another part of myself to be receptive and allow the world to present opportunities to find meaning to me in a way that is 
not consciously directed or not conceptually directed. That's been really, really great. Love the opportunity to choose some gifts for Leslie and I, our dear friend at Barbase, who's heading off to be a teacher for a month in Alexandra. And we went up to Otakunui and chose some presents for her and beautiful card that when you open it up it sings like a bellbird and we wrote some wee messages in there and all our dear friends from Barbados wrote little messages in there and something that I love about Phoebe is that she is able to really capture the playfulness and the, the freedom that we all have physically to be able to of course do all these amazing yoga positions and access multiple happy brain chemicals via exercise and connect with our parasympathetic nervous system and enjoy lots of endorphins but also take a step back from the hustle and bustle of our daily lives and find that freedom and a different sense of meaning and purpose physically in connecting with our body so it was a wonderful time of giving lots of presents to her and really enjoying the ability to experience others and their sense of connection with her, the frameworks of meaning they've created around their relationship with her. Being really receptive and open to that and just more and more I'm finding myself just so grateful to be able to interact with others and of course in this time apart, now coming back together, it's a wonderful sense again of freedom but also that receptivity to just appreciating others and all life as it is, accepting and loving it, being grateful for it, however it unfolds, whatever unfolds, being really, really grateful for it. And so I hope that for all of you, you've noticed some really interesting positive shifts moving through lockdown and all the various levels to the freedom we find ourselves in now. And I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakiti. A higher percentage of Pacifica people working in low wages jobs, which turned out to be essential. Do you think we might yes. do you think we might be rethinking about what, what's important? Well, um I, I hope so. Uh, because that was pres- ever present to me. Um, you know, the the only people that were out uh during that lockdown were essential workers working at the testing stations, people working at the um, supermarkets, you know, people working in the hospitals, people cleaning the hospitals. And you're right, I mean, num- a large percentage of those essential workers were Pacific and Māori people, but um, I'd like to think that we may well um, take that away as something that you know, we maybe need to look at differently. Um, uh, to be honest, I'm not going to hold my breath on that one um, because, unfortunately, economics far outweighs what's right sometimes. And, you know, despite the fact we see these things, you know, it's like looking at our reflection in the mirror. You know, no sooner we got out the front door, we've forgotten what we saw. Um, nonetheless, those people that are, that are doing those jobs still, they haven't forgotten and their families haven't forgotten that they were at risk. And, you know, I, I was uh, cognizant too of, you know, my own role in that being out and about every day, that I was putting myself at risk, that I was putting the family that I was staying with, my sister and brother-in-law and my nephews at risk. And when I was able to get tested, um, it, you know, it was an anxious 24 hours, actually. 
waiting to get the results because if they were negative, then I've infected my whole family. <laughs> and I was really cognizant of that. So for every essential worker that you saw with a mask on at the supermarket or anywhere else, um, yeah, I think it's it's reasonable to think that, you know, not only did we see them, but we saw the family that they go, they went back to. And if we understand that, that for the most part they were Pacific or Māori, then that family wasn't one or two people, that they were large clusters of people. And in that respect, um, large amounts of people were put at risk to make sure that we were able to do our shopping, to make sure that we were able to go to the hospital. And I do hope that um, after this election cycle, there is some thought around, um, well, I guess, you know, the living wage is something the unions have been fighting for. And that's, you know, definitely one thing we can do um, that would make a huge difference. So, um, yes. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist observing city life in lockdown. Hi, bubble folk. It's Liesel here from my little bubble in the city, chatting away as I do with our little conversations here in the bubble space. I hope you're doing really well. I hope things are going well for you today. Uh, I wanted to share with you something about um, a weekend I've had recently where uh, I went up to Christchurch and this has been really exciting actually because um, I haven't been to Christchurch for I think almost 20 years which really effectively means that I don't know Christchurch at all. I haven't seen it post quakes, I haven't seen it um, in the last sort of few years when there's been a lot of regeneration and a lot of um, interesting things popping up in the city. So effectively Christchurch, while I did spend quite a lot of time there as a kid, uh, I just don't know at all. And weirdly, although I had great memories of hanging out in Christchurch with my grandparents as a kid, and this was kind of under the age of five, so it was going to the botanic gardens, playing on the swings, feeding the ducks, going for walks near their house along the river, um, just enjoying, I think, the crisp air. I always remember it being crisp and lots of trees, walking in Hagley Park. There was always sort of outdoor activity with my grandparents, playing croquet on their on their lawn out the back and uh, watching my granddad garden, watching my grandma um, weave. She had a weaving loom. So these are some of the things that I sort of associate with Christchurch. And it was always blue skies and, I don't know, I always had kind of fond memories of, of Christchurch but then as I got a little bit older and I, I did visit a few times had friends that lived there or just passing through spending some time over a holiday maybe I found I didn't really have any kind of connection with Christchurch even though I'd had these experiences as a kid so at this point when I was a teenager or early sort of 20s um, my grandparents were no longer there and I didn't have that same connection to the city and in fact I found it a difficult city to connect with and one of the reasons I think reflecting back on that was the fact that it, uh, it was a beautiful city but didn't feel like it had a heart. Uh, for some reason it felt like a city that looked great on the outside but I didn't really know what was on the inside and that wasn't everywhere I went but that was kind of the overall feeling I think. So. I've never really chosen Christchurch. I've never chosen it as a place I wanted to go. But I have recently visited Christchurch. And 
It was a fantastic experience. And I think part of what has made it so good is um, my framing of Christchurch before I went. And what I mean by that is just I thought about how I was going to approach the city as, as a city that I hadn't really felt any connection with when I was um, last there. So I thought, right, I can approach this city in a negative sort of way and think, oh, I don't know if I like this place. I'm going up to visit someone and, gosh, I mean, I'm going really to see them, but do I really want to see Christchurch? Well, I decided to change that view and go with, well, actually, I've never really been to this Christchurch. I've been to another Christchurch, (laughs) but this Christchurch is a different Christchurch, and In many ways, Christchurch has had to reinvent itself after the earthquakes. Um, So much damage, so much harm done, so many things changed, so many people left, that actually the city has had to reinvent itself. So I wanted to give it that space to be a new city. So I turned up and it was drizzling and it was rainy and it wasn't that great weather that I had hoped for, of course, but... Actually, this moody, kind of interesting city emerged out of the, the misty drizzle. And I saw this sort of gritty city that had, weirdly, in the space of being so broken, a kind of heart beating within it. And that, to me, is what Christchurch maybe didn't have before. Or maybe it did, but it was very difficult to find. And... While I think it's a tragedy that the earthquakes have occurred, um, don't get me wrong there, but I do think that out of this tragedy there has been a wonderful sort of phoenix rising from the ashes where there's art, there's culture, there's growth, there's innovation, there's beautiful buildings emerging, and there's just a little bit of grit that makes it feel like it's not a perfect spot to go. Well, that's my thoughts, um, reframing and Christchurch. Hope you have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. Talk soon. Most of the small island states, the Pacific states, haven't had COVID or haven't had it very much. But they must be in a in a bit of a state with their with tourism just zeroed. That's correct. What what how do you see it, how do you see that playing well, out in the next year or so? Well, I think the question really is how do I see that playing out in the next two months? Um, really, uh, that's the urgency at the moment. Um, when I spoke with uh, one of our officials back in Rarotonga about the situation, the comment uh, said back to me was, if something doesn't happen soon, our economy is going to hemorrhage. And, and that's, that's the situation. So I think there's been about 18 or 19 different people um, argue in the newspaper or media for the borders to be open to the Cook Islands or in realm countries. And at the moment, that's not going to happen. um, And for a number of reasons, and reasons that I understand um, around safety and, you know, the the measles epidemic in Samoa was only a year away. And that was, uh, you know, someone that traveled from New Zealand to Samoa and they were hit with measles and people died. And, um, you know, I think there's, some caution with regard to doing opening up that border but you know the balance of it is you're gonna the economy will be ruined but you know uh, my personal view is that tourism has come at a terrible price for small island states 
the um, commodification of their culture, the rubbish that was left behind, the waste that's created, the, um, well, you know, generally speaking, there's a very small pool of people that are benefiting greatly from the sale of a person's culture and their backyard to others. And I think it's a very good time for any country um, that has tourism as its GDP, including New Zealand, the highest you know, income earner being tourism, that we have a look at tourism and ask ourselves, can we do it better? Is there a better way of doing this? You know, can we, can we not turn our country into, like the Cook Islands, can we not turn the Cook Islands into the Bali for New Zealanders, like Bali is for Australians? and do more than just have a booze bus experience and um, a week on the beach and actually have high yield tourists uh, promote and, and really develop this idea of eco tourists that leave a very small footprint in a country and actually come not to, um, yeah, I guess, behave like Bali and come actually because they want to understand um, another way of living in another life and another group of people and other sets of values and another way of seeing the world. And, you know, I think it's, it, you know, COVID has given us the opportunity to do that. Um, and for all our, you know, for all the, I mean, look, Tahiti's taken a different approach. So Tahiti opened its borders yesterday and they've opened it to um, the US, I believe. And I think that's, absolutely tragic that they've done that and they may they may get away with it but the risk that they put to their own local community is absolutely enormous and i don't think that the benefit outweighs the risk but that is a very very good example actually of the kind of um, equation that countries do when they are solely tourism dependent is that the local community and local people becomes second to the need to keep feeding this machine. And I understand that it creates revenue and I understand that countries are dependent on it, but maybe we shouldn't have, maybe the question is we shouldn't have been so dependent on it in the first place. And maybe we have um, not looked at other opportunities because we've been so dependent on one and we've been prepared to absorb the environmental and social cost of tourism because it was the only income stream. And that maybe is really the question, should should that have been the situation? And if it's not the situation we should be looking at going forward, then where to from here? And I think that's probably more the question is where to for, for, for we don't use the term small island states, we use the term large ocean states <laughs> because <laughs> Because once again, that was someone else's definition, and so <laughs> if you um, <laughs> if you looked at the Pacific, I mean, it's an area larger than Russia. If you go from Hawaii to Rapa Nui to Aotearoa up to Tahiti and to us, there's nothing small about it. Um, it's just ocean instead of land. Um, so yeah, it's, I always I always think small island states is an interesting comment. But um, hey, you know, it's all about perspective. Um, yeah, those are my comments on tourism and where to from here. Let's play 
politician from Cora. Why this one? <laughs> I think the words speak for itself, really. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of my favourites. Pale, 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 politician. Can you make a right decision for all of us? For all of us. Pale, 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 politician. Can you make a right decision for all of us? Yeah, for all of us. Pale, 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 politician. We're not going to have another pandemic, but what do you think we've learnt for how we can respond to these sorts of things? Uh, I think that I think the, the message "go hard, go early" was uh, definitely something that stuck in people's minds. And you know, when we when we measure how we've done with regard to that, and then we measure that against other 
countries and how they have responded. Go hard, go early seems like a really, really good idea. And I'm glad that in hindsight, we weren't saying, damn, I wish we would have gone hard and gone early. Um, so, you know, uh, you know the, the Prime Minister and, gov and government have, I think, done a fantastic job in responding and uh, continue to respond to something that is going to be with us a lot longer than I imagined and something that we're going to have to keep negotiating and renegotiating over and again, which is why the messaging has become even even more important, because people are now becoming, I think, tired of the restraint and somewhat agitated by it. And so it's that, you know, it, it's hard to get people to comply um, unless, of course, there's an element of self-interest in there. And self-interest is a fantastic motivator. And so our, our self-interest to start with was simply to uh, stop this thing from becoming community transmission. And for the most part, you know, that's been achieved. Um, it's where to from here and how do we continue with um, a messaging that's still palatable for people? Because, you know, there is a small element of people that um, are becoming very, very agitated about this, I see on Facebook and other social media platforms. And that is, to me, hugely concerning. Mm. That's more concerning, is um, the growth of that. And uh, again, it's why messaging is so important. So, you know, I guess, you know, the, the, the people that are making those decisions are working on those as we speak. Um, but back to your question, yeah, I think um, the messaging was good. It was um, that that people's response as New Zealanders was fantastic, and we are able to go shopping, go to the mall, have forty two thousand people at a rugby game. We're able to watch one of the one of the one of the um, takeaways from this has been we, we're watching better rugby. I don't even know how that happened, but it's actually better, and there are more people there, and it's exciting. And we're going to get rid of the South Africans, and we're going to bring in a Pacific team. You know, it's like hey, let's. Let's um, let's do this better. I'm 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 all for that. You know, I think that's fantastic. You know, I never thought I'd ever say I watched a really good Super Rugby game on the wiki, but I actually did. I actually watched two really really good games, and I I never thought I'd be able to say that again. So um, I don't know that that's directly res related to COVID, but you know what? I actually think that rugby had sat on its laurels and and had a place of privilege for a long time as our national sport, and these guys get paid an exorbitant amount of money to, to do what they do. And for the first time ever with COVID, they had to think that actually, possibly, that wasn't going to happen. So and that their, their, the rugby pedestal was actually at risk, and that for the first time in a long time, probably ever, um, there may not be rugby. And it's definitely done something to them, I think, and, and done something to the game. And I'm excited by that. I think it's really good because we no longer take it for granted. So other than the better rugby, of all the changes you've seen in the last few months, what do you think will stick and what do you hope will stick? Um, I do hope that people will be more kind. I, I do hope that we'll be more considerate. I hope that, um, you know, that we will not take things for granted that are really important, like family, you know, like each other, like like our health, like us as a country, 
that it's so much more than, than just the rugby game. It's so much more than the All Blacks. You know, it, it, it's so much more than 15 guys in a rugby field that we can actually start to um, identify and determine who we are as New Zealanders um, by how we treat each other. I think that's hugely important. I think the fact that we were able to have a message and develop a message and and actually exercise that message with each other about being kind cannot be underestimated. That kindness is so powerful that kindness can can diametrically change the way people see themselves and how they see their fellow man. And if we can be a kinder country, then, you know, that really does make paradise. You know, it really is. Then the humanity that lives here matches the beautiful environment that we live in. I always think, you know, people say to me back in the Cook Islands, what's it like living in paradise? And I would always say to them, well, there's paradise in the mountains and the trees and the ocean and the reef, but it's humanity living here. Don't be fooled by that. And so our backdrop may be absolutely stunning and amazing, but let's try and ensure that the people that live there are stunning and amazing also, and that we can do better. And I think we have done. I think the country has um, re-evaluated those things and that people are kinder. But look, what I will say, if but I go up to Auckland every other weekend, and if you're driving on the road, then it's definitely not demonstrated there. I do much prefer... The driving in Wellington, it's, people are so much kinder here. Maybe the kindness sort of permeated their driving skills in Wellington, but it definitely didn't do that in Auckland, <laughs> sad to say. So, um, but, but, but on the whole, I think, you know, we've, you know, how often do we get a, a chance to take seven weeks out and, and reflect? Well, we have, Hardly ever. we have, Chris, we have holidays. We have holidays every Christmas. It's just, just that we run around like crazy things because that's what we have to do. Maybe yeah. maybe next year we'll just stop. You know, it's been interesting um, t- talking with people. You know, there were elements of the lockdown that people enjoyed, like just not so many cars on the road, not being in a frantic hurry, not going to the mall with another, you know, two or 3,000 other people, not being frantic about things, not queuing um, for stuff. You know, uh, I, I, you know, there was definitely positives inside that, that lockdown that are takeaway, takeaways as well, because of course we've reverted back to how things were. Um, but again, you know, I'm more of the, you know, people say half full and half empty, the glass. Well, I, I don't actually measure the glass. I'm just glad there's water in it. But, you know, that, that, that for me is, is the positive. And I think the water table has increased um, because of the lockdown. And I'm not going to measure, I can't measure it. But what I do know is that there's more in there than there was in March. And that's a good thing. That's a really, really good thing. Some questions to end the show with, quickly. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Getting married. That's a good one. <laughs> we're writing a book yeah. of these we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. So you're on our book, you're on our team of people doing good work. What's the superpower that's got you into our mansion? Definitely my faith. It's my religious faith. Definitely my faith. And, ooh, there's so many things that sort of surface when you ask me that question. <laughs> you know what it is? You know what? You know what? It, it, it's, uh, it is the, 
the power of asking that's what it is just just asking you know uh, I, I think it, it's such a simple thing that we can do and i and i and i practice it a lot and i um i can say that there's been numbers of things that have happened for me because i simply asked and i wasn't afraid to ask um i was afraid but i wasn't afraid to ask and i think um we need to ask more you know if if there's something that we need we need to ask for it and there's something really powerful about asking because you hear your own voice you know you, you hear your own voice asking you what is it for what it is that you need and you know in counseling i would often say to people um you can't expect others to love you if you can't love yourself you know if you can't love who you are don't expect that anybody else is going to do that for you and there is an there is an element of needing to forgive ourselves there is an element of needing to love ourselves there is an element of needing to care for ourselves so that we can do that better for others and so if i had to think about uh, my superpower <laughs> that that would be you know that would be sometimes we need to be um impertinent sometimes we need to be um yeah sometimes we just need to ask yeah but success sorry yeah so success definitely getting married was a great success um and if i can just say also um learning to love my adult children yeah having adult relationships with them and as adults is really just for me a measure of success and and i'm not saying i've succeeded i'm just saying that you know for me that's what success looks like do you consider yourself to be an activist yes I'm an activist and I've taught my children to be activists and um uh, uh, I've definitely um taught them to to speak their mind and sometimes that's confrontational for me personally because they speak their mind to me and sometimes I find that difficult <laughs> um but yes um I'm actually concerned about the lack of activism in our Pacific communities and my from based on what i've seen um uh, my thinking is that we've become complacent cons- consumers and that's not a good place to be and we need to take the activism that is happening because it's not like it's not and amplify that more i think and maybe the the black lives matter uh, for you know people were there for a, a, a whole plethora of reasons um but what i enjoyed was to seeing people standing up for something and to act you know activate themselves about something other than themselves though for numbers of people there they were there because of their own experience as well and I'm not even going to get into that argument because it's so polarizing you do you i love that term you do you i'm going to do me right <laughs> yeah so as a so what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years um I'm looking forward to the election in in uh, 61 days. That's probably the the, the present one. Um, I'm looking forward to my time here with um, Labour, with the Labour government. Uh, I'm so enjoying it. It's um, literally here's a year's pass to Rainbow's End goes go crazy. Um, they are you know it is Labour. and i'm saying this because this is my experience is is not everybody's experience but they are labor in a name and indeed and i'm enjoying that it's congruent you know when you work for the party or you work for the organization you then 
you know, see it from its inside. And I'm pleased with pleased with what I see. It, you know, I'm not. I don't agree with everything, of course, because I'm an activist. <laughs> that's, you know, that's not what I bring. I don't bring that lens. But I really like what I see, I, and and it really is just the values. I love the values. The values sit with me. They're congruent with who I am, and and you know, we we can we can hold hands. But you know, the other the other thing, though, brother, is is um, there are good people in the other parties too and I have made it my position to meet with them and sit with them and seek to understand their position as well and I had a fantastic meeting with Chloe Swarbrick just last week because I wanted to understand her position on a couple of things so that I can reflect some of that back to our Pacific communities and I do think we need to think outside our parochial silos, political silos and work less combatively and work more collaboratively because everybody wins in the end. That's that's me. That's that's the lens that I bring. So that's that's me. I'll, I'll happily have lunch and meet with them because, you know, we want the same thing, maybe just a different way of doing it. Lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Be kind. That's the first one. <clears throat> Whatever that means for you. Um, you know, be active, you know, do something. Uh, people often ask the question, you know, what, what can I do? And I'm like, well, what's in your hands right now? Do that. You know, whatever it is, if you want to bring change, be that change. I mean, it sounds trite and almost cliche, and I hate cliches. Um, but, you, you know, really, you know, this is not the time based on the challenges to our globe and our environment, humanity, the life that we live and understand of what we stand for to be sitting down and letting someone else take control of that. You know, I really think that, you know, it's, it's the same feeling I felt when the Springboks played rugby here. We need to get out there and do something and say something. Whether you agree or disagree, let's get active about that and, and talk about it and share our thoughts. Stay off Facebook, leave the keyboard alone and talk to people. You know, actually talk to people. I think that's hugely challenging and hugely beneficial going forward for us as a country. Thank you very much for that. Mawira. Yes, being the change, Thomas, that is, um, I've been had a lot of time this weekend thinking about exactly that concept of being the change. We, we often can, can demand change, but if we don't commit to being part of it, then how do we make it actually happen? So, yes, that's my theme at the moment too, is be the change. Is, and, mm. and and pursue happiness. Look for things that bring joy. Mm. Um, and to me, that's a well community. And yes. in order to have a well community, we have to be the change. So happiness yeah. is tied up with being the change, I think. Yeah, thank you, Thomas. Thank you. You can talk the talk. But will you walk the walk or will you bring us comfort? Will you bring us comfort? You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. 
I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani and Thomas Wynn in Wellington. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.